0: Hello everyone and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for week 18 of the 2019-2020 curling season. This week our focus shifts to the Canada Cup in Leduc, Alberta, as we preview one of the biggest events of the season for the top Canadian men's and women's teams. Our guests include former Canada Cup champion Reid Carruthers, Adam Kingsbury, who has coached both Team Homan and Team Jacobs to victory at a Canada Cup, and Olympic silver medalist Mike Harris joins me to discuss what we might expect from several of the teams that will be competing in Leduc this week. All that and more on this week's From the Hack podcast. So before we get started, if you've ever wondered how they get those nice graphics into the ice at Grand Slams, at the World Championships, and at Nationals in Canada and the U.S., well, the answer is provided by Jedice, whose in-ice graphics from Easy and Textile logos to the world-famous Jedi's Full House product are great ways for clubs to enhance the appearance of their ice and to generate much-needed additional sponsorship revenues. Easy and Textile logos are the industry standard for high-quality logos, and they're a snap to install. Meanwhile, Jedi's customizable full houses are a relatively new way for clubs to grow sponsorship revenues by offering maximum brand recognition to those sponsors. No one can match Jedi's design services, quick turnaround times, and product quality, which is why Jedi's products are valued by major organizations such as Curling Canada, the World Curling Federation, USA Curling, and Sportsnet, who trust Jedi's to provide the products they require for their high profile events. Jedi's. They bring ice to life. I want to start this week by congratulating Team Medin and Team Hasselberg who both won the European Championship in front of a partisan home crowd in Helsingborg, Sweden this weekend. Team Hasselberg defeated Team Muirhead of Scotland to defend the title they won last season while Team Medin won their fourth title in five years defeating Team Schwaller of Switzerland in the men's final. In B Division men's action at the Euros, the Czech Republic and Finland have won promotion to the A Division next year while Russia and England have been relegated to the B Division in 2020. In women's B-Division action, Italy and Turkey have been promoted to the A-Division next year, while Norway and Latvia have been relegated to the B-Division for 2020. <laughs> Among the winners on the World Curling Tour this weekend, Team Botcher defeated Team McKeown to win the Ashley Homestore Curling Classic in Penticton, B.C. Eun-Chi won an All-Korean Final over Minji Kim at the Boundary Ford Curling Classic in Lloydminster. Team Zacharias beat Team Robertson in the women's final at the Sonova Spiel in Winnipeg, while Sean Grassi defeated Corey Chambers in the men's final. Suzanne Burt defeated Sylvie Robichaud in the final of the Tim Horton Spitfire Arms Cash Bill in Windsor, Nova Scotia, and Scott McDonald beat Vincent Raberge in the final of the Challenge Casino de Charlevoix. Arnold Asham's passion for curling, along with his natural propensity to explore new ways to better the game, led him to a whole new world of product design. As a result, all Asham Curling Supplies products are designed with the curler in mind. Asham's patented ultralight RDS technology makes it possible to change and customize your slider with any combination of sliding discs. With equal resistance on all sides, the circular design that guarantees a straight slide. These circles have also been designed larger and with stabilizing bars from the outer unit sole to produce the most stable straight sliding shoe the world has ever seen. Go to www.asham.com for brooms, apparel, and revolutionary designed footwear. And if you're considering buying new curling shoes, you must consider the rotator sole. It's the sole of the future. <laughs> As mentioned, 14 of the best Canadian curling teams are in LeDuc, Alberta this week for the Canada Cup. Jennifer Jones and Brad Jacobs will look to defend the titles they won last season. The Canada Cup is one of the more prestigious events on the Canadian curling calendar this season, with a spot in the 2021 Olympic trials and a spot in this season's Continental Cup going to the winners of both the men's and women's events. My first guest this week is Reid Carruthers, who led his team to victory at the 2016 Canada Cup in Brandon, Manitoba. Read when teams are developing their schedule for a season. I know that they try to set things up so that they can peak for big events. Is the Canada Cup one of those events that might get more attention when developing a schedule than others might? Is it truly one of those events that Canadian teams have circled on their calendars?
1: Yeah, I think like in a in a year like this, there would be teams that are, uh, looking at it like one of the events that uh, yes, you want to be playing maybe the best at for sure. Um, you know, and working working really hard and maybe even uh, looking hard at the schedule as to, you know, how much you want to be playing right up to that point. I know some teams like to have a week off before they go to a big event like that or some teams like to actually be playing so they, you know, are almost in like game-ready throwing mode. So there's a couple of different ways to approach it, but I think, you know, a year like this with uh,
0: being one of the first real years uh, of the trials qualification process, uh, this is a big one. So most teams like to stick to a routine the week before big events like the Canada Cup. Some teams prefer to play while other teams prefer to take the week off and get a little bit of rest and a little bit of extra practice in. However, this year, at least on the men's side, there's an event in Penticton with more prize money on the line than any other regular World Curling Tour event this season. And as a result, six of the seven teams in the men's event at the Canada Cup are also playing in Penticton. Do you think this might impact the usual flow for teams that prefer not to play the week before a big event?
1: Yeah, you know, maybe. Uh, I think it's it's one of those things, though, that, you know, we've had a lot of spills recently. So even if you did want to take the Penticton week off, you know, you could look at, like, what Glenn Howard's doing. Uh, the last I saw, he was in the final versus Murphy uh, in Nova Scotia. Uh, and it's a pretty decent tour spot that's through the uh, event uh, out east. So, you know, there's there's a couple different ways of doing it. Uh, but, you know, when you look at the purse and Penticton, uh, and the fact that it's close to Alberta and, and the Canada Cup, they basically require you to be out there on a Tuesday. I think, uh, you know, you said Team Gushu is going to play it for their first year uh, in Penticton. Uh, you know, I know they've heard the event is good. We've I've had t- talks with some of the players on the team in recent years about how the event was run. Uh, and then for them, you know, to make that big trip from out east to, to go west for the Canada Cup, I think it was probably a no-brainer for them. Uh, to make that spot and uh, that stop in Penticton.
0: You know the thing about the Canada Cup is that it's similar to the trials in that you really get no easy games and a 0-2 start as an example in the Canada Cup is very difficult to overcome. So as a result Reid I'm wondering if teams have a tendency to perhaps start pressing earlier in the week at the Canada Cup than they might even do at a briar if they can't find their groove to start the event.
1: You know you lose a couple games early and you know, you, you don't have an easy game in the schedule, so you know it's it's going to be a bit of a grind or a long week. Uh, so getting getting off to a good start in the first couple of games, even splitting puts, puts, your, puts yourself a good chance uh, at the end of the week to at least be in, in a tiebreaker situation. Um, but, you know, whether you uh, get the bye into the final or you know, grind your way through a tiebreaker, anything can happen as long as uh, you know the back end or Skip in particular is playing hot. So... But this year, this year at the Canada Cup field, it looks awfully tough. I don't see any easy games for anyone in there. Uh, So it's going to be really interesting to see how it plays out.
0: Now, there are one or two teams competing in the Canada Cup this season that have had a difficult start to their seasons, Team Silver and Eagle of Saskatchewan being one of those since there are no guarantees in sport, do you think teams like Team Sylvanagle Eagle and others that may have struggled a little bit more to start this season than they would have liked to, will be putting more pressure on themselves entering the Canada Cup, knowing that this is a chance at securing a spot in the trials, regardless of what might happen in the next year or two?
1: Yeah, there's there's definitely a few teams that are, you know, I guess, kind of like the tier A1, the A-plus a+ teams that are, you know, in, in a good spot, uh you know, as long as they stay consistent over the next two years, that they'll get one of those direct entry spots. Uh, you know, the Brad Gushue of the world or Gushue uh, Jacobs, those types of teams are. They obviously look at look at the event a little bit different. They also have a lot of experience under their belt. Trying not to get too excited about, you know, the strength of field and what they're playing in. I, I think they they more often just play their best in those fields. Uh, when they're playing against the best teams, um, but yeah, a team like I guess Silvernagle, you know, they're I don't I don't know how much confidence they have going into the event, but they're also a team that made a really good Scotties run last year uh, in a tough Scotties field. So uh, you know, anything's anything's possible. You know, we've seen some crazy things even happen this year. Certain teams winning slams. You know, the strength of field across curling in both the men's and women's is really strong. Used to be, you'd see, you know, three or four, maybe sometimes five teams that, you know, would probably be in the final at the end of a, a big weekend. Now, you know, you look at the slams in particular. Uh, there's there's 15 really strong teams in both the men's and women's, and there's no easy game. So curling's really hard to handicap right now.
0: One thing that journalists keep hearing from players both before and during important curling events is that the teams have to stick to their process. Can you provide some insight as to what the process might consist of for an elite curling team?
1: Yeah, I think the one of the things is not to get too focused on, on the big picture and, you know, thinking that, you know, this is, this is you know, one of your last chances to get into the curls is... When, would be a bad way to look at it you know you uh i think if i were if i were playing in the canada cup this year i would i would just hope that i had a good performance and i'm building my way you know uh up to my best performance uh hopefully you know next year the year after that so i'm i'm i would try not to get too uh fixated on you know what whether or not we uh ran the table in the canada cup or struggled in the canada cup uh the big picture is just you know, competing and feeling good about how you played uh, as a team. And sometimes you can play really well and also lose. So I think trying not to get too focused on, uh, you know, whether you're 0-2 or 2-0 after the first day or two of the Canada Cup is going to be key for some of these
0: teams. And finally, Reid, the intensity of the Canada Cup certainly seems to increase as teams get deeper into the week and you get closer to the playoffs. Is that palpable for the teams competing at the event, and does it feel different from other events you might compete in on tour? I think it's situational. You know, you're you're going to
1: see that uh, anytime you get in a qualifying game, uh, in any event, whether it's you know uh, the Portage uh, Portage Men's or Women's uh, Canadian Classic, where you know you got big money on the line, or whether or not you're playing in a big uh, you know Canada Cup game, Slam game, or even you know a Breyer or a Scotties. It's anytime you get close to the playoffs, you're going to see, you're going to hear, even the line calling it gets you know, a little bit more chaotic, a little bit more intensity. And, you know, sometimes you see, uh, see some teams uh, perform really well under the pressure, and you can see some teams come out flat in those big games. So it's, you know, it's really unfortunate that our team's not going to be playing in the event this year, but I am uh, looking forward to see, uh, seeing the results.
0: And uh,
1: more importantly, I'm going to be focusing on doing this.
0: My next guest is Adam Kingsbury, who coached Team Holman to victory at the 2017 Olympic Trials and who was on the bench for Team Jacobs when they won last season's Canada Cup in Estevan, Saskatchewan. Adam, when the top Canadian teams are doing their off-season prep, both physical, mental and operational, is the Canada Cup typically one of those events that they circle on their calendars so that they can plan to hopefully peak in time for that event where a spot in the Olympic Trials will be on the line?
2: Uh, I would say without question. I mean, it's the first event... It's the first ten event, ten end events, excuse me, of of the year, and you know when you're at the Canada Cup, the atmosphere and the experience has that that Briar Scotty flavor to it. And while the slams are exciting in their own right, there's there's something different about the uh, the, the national stage, and it's it's certainly an uh, an important event for from all of the the high-performing teams, and just to play in it is a a, a goal for many of them.
0: I'm just curious if most teams do something specific to help prepare themselves for an event that has a little more on the line than other events they play in the first half of the season. If so, how different would the mental preparation be for an event like the Canada Cup than for other events, either the early season events in, in different regions of the country or at the early season slams?
2: I certainly hope that teams are... Thinking about their planning and preparation, and when when would they like to peak? What needs to be done? What needs to be examined to peak at the right moment? Um, certainly, the teams and the individual athletes that I know um, are, are definitely involved in that level of planning and prep. Um, and so, although yeah, the trials only comes around once every four years. I mean, the Canada Cup is literally the trials, but without the direct entry in, in, uh, you know, as Team Canada. So I think it's a great, uh, in the, you know, first three years of the quadrennial, it's it's a really good test to see what do you have? Are you able to bring it at the moment that you're required to? How are you able to handle the pressure and uh, playing teams, um, sometimes two games a day where, you know, most of the slams and most of the teams will only play one? I mean it's just a little while it's still curling, the, the level of expectation and pressure ramps up ever so slightly. But I mean again, as a fan or getting to sit on the outside and watch, it's it's an amazing event. I'm really
0: excited for it. As someone who has served as coach for a couple of different teams at the Canada Cup, what do you do behind the scenes to help ensure that a team is in a good space, both physically and mentally, entering an event that could be so important for a team, especially those that are focused on getting that automatic uh, bid or that automatic entry into the Olympic trials? Yeah, so I
2: I think at this stage of the season, um, all the teams that will be playing certainly have enough competitive um, events and games under their belt that they know more or less, where things are at technically, where the relationships are at amongst teammates, and the best predictor of the, the version of the team that's going to show up in this event, um, we just need to look at how things have been going this season. But to be honest, and I, I believe in, in this, that at this, this level of performance, it's always coming back to the fundamentals. Um, we know that rest and recovery and managing stress and taking care of all the, the, the planning and the little details, the things that will just take you away from focusing on what matters, um, those, those little things add up. So I think the role of someone who travels with the team is to take care of a lot of that behind the scenes, but also just to be a, a source of support and someone who listens. I mean, a lot of the times, there's this tendency for coaches to want to do more, to be the fixer, to be the person with the answer. Um, and it's a lot harder to, to sit back and and trust the work that's done before the event. Um, but players really respond to being listened to and heard and just supported in in, in the way that they need during competition. And no matter the... The results of, of how people finish in this, I think there's a lot of data, win or lose, that can be extracted in terms of what do we need – what did we do well and what do we need to do better. And I just don't know of any other approach um, to take when looking at performance from a, from a long perspective, whether it's one quad, two quads, or over a
0: career. Adam, unlike other sports like hockey or soccer perhaps where you can make substitutions or you can quote-unquote hide a struggling player during a game or a tournament, you can't do that in curling where each member plays an important role and where each rock thrown is an important one. How do you go about working with an individual athlete that might be struggling, might be low in confidence, or might be struggling with an off-eye situation that is out of their control when they are at an event like the Canada Cup and they don't want to let their teammates down?
2: Yeah, I mean, all I would would say to that, Frank, would be, uh, you'd be hard-pressed to find a team of four individuals that from the very first moment they arrive at an event to the the last end in a final, where all four of them would be firing on all cylinders without some sort of potential injury or um, set back or some technical issue that they might be fighting. Um, and, and so I would say that the entire role of a coach is knowing all of those things and, and conveying that culture and attitude to players, where we, we do expect a lot, but also that there is room for there's room for reality, where the player is right now, and, and really identifying what do we have in front of us, what are the tools that are in our disposal, and what can we do given. The environment and and the people that we have and how one goes about doing that, well, I guess that would be the, the whole art of coaching. But I do know that when teams are doing that well, it naturally translates into some of the performances that we've been fortunate enough to see, some of the great ones.
0: There are teams that are secure in the knowledge that they will qualify for the Olympic trials, regardless of whether they win the Canada Cup or not. However, there are other teams for whom it's a little bit more touch and go, and they certainly want to avoid the cauldron of the pre-trials where anything can and has happened in the past. Does the lure of the automatic spot in the Olympic trials put additional pressure on some of the teams that might be struggling this season and who might want to secure that trial spot and not have to worry too much about CTRS points and uh, other qualifiers over the next season or two?
2: Yeah, you know what, that's a good question and i think it would be very personal depending on the team or the individual on the team i think external incentives such as a trial spot or world ranking points or ctrs points of course they enter into the minds of players and i think that more or less the the bigger the event the, the the greater the consequences so I don't know, I know some people have a very laid-back and um, excited approach where it's, well, what do we have to lose? And, and perhaps there might be some teams who feel like it, it's a force, it's a necessity for, for a great performance to, to happen. And I think either way, both of those mindsets are, um, can be toxic or, uh, in the sense that anything that brings you away from the present moment that you're in um, is, is a distraction. And so planning and, prepo- and pre- planning and preparation and trying to anticipate all of the things that may happen during a competition, most of that work is done ahead of time. And while you're there, it's trusting that you're going to have what it takes and you're going to be engaged in every single game and every single rock and you're going to let everything unfold um, as it may. So... If a team is putting a lot of pressure on themselves, I mean, there's not much that you can do to change that, but you can acknowledge that and and shift your focus back to where it needs to be. And I know it sounds simple, and it is to say, and it's quite difficult in practice, but again, that's why we spend so much time talking about these
0: things. As I mentioned earlier, there are teams that are confident that they will qualify for the trials regardless of the results in this Canada Cup or the one next season. I'm guessing that's the kind of confident mindset that you like to see and hear when you're the coach.
2: I love that type of approach. I think that when you're a great team and you're one of the best in the world, what a lot of pressure, perhaps needlessly so, are you placing on an event uh, two years out from the date? And I, I I think being able to recognize that it doesn't matter what it is, every competition that you play in, you want to bring your best performance given where you're at as a person. And so for those teams that are able to compartmentalize the implications and the uh, trophies and the outcome, they're really able to get into that focused state, which is what's happening in front of me right now. And uh, so the more that our athletes think that way, I believe the better the overall competition will be.
0: Not unlike the trials, the Canada Cup is one of those events where a slow start, say 0-2, can be difficult to overcome because there are really no easy games at the Canada Cup where the lowest-ranked team you will face in the women's event is number 16 in the world, and in the men's event is uh, number 13 in the world. What can and should a coach do when their team gets off to a slow start to get them back on the right track and hopefully get them back into that playoff mix?
2: Yeah. Well, either that—that's no different than starting two and zero, and the mind starts going into a future-oriented way of operating. Uh, either way, both of those mindsets um, really bring you away from where you need to be, which is. You know, so are are you going to be the team that um, packs it in early when you start 0-2, or are you obligated to yourself and to your teammates and to the game and to the fans to um, compete as hard as you possibly can until until the event is over and um, see what happens? So, of course you're going to be upset when you don't start the way you intend. And, of of course, you might start thinking um, about you know, how good of a position you're in when you start hot and playoffs seem like a sure thing. But both of those both of those perspectives, I think, are really common and we spend a lot of time and effort trying to eliminate um, those from happening. And it's just way easier to acknowledge that those are there and instead practice coming back to where are we? We're right here. And that's, it's a skill that if you are a, high-performance athlete, and you're not investing yourself in that every day, um, you will be packed. That is, a, that is a certainty.
0: And finally, Adam, one of the things that journalists often hear from players at big events like a Canada Cup, the Scotties, the Briar, the Trials, and other events of that magnitude, is that they need to stick to their quote-unquote process. From a coach's perspective, can you share what the key elements of the quote-unquote process is for a team heading into an important event like the Canada Cup?
2: Yeah, re- repeatable... Controllable actions that you know are going to increase the chance of successful execution. I don't know what else to say. I, I think that, I mean, if, what else are athletes supposed to say as well? I mean, they're they're precisely when you hear across sports, whether it's curling, whether it's hockey, basketball, baseball. Sure, I mean, you want the you want the emotion, you want the honesty, you want the the quotes that might generate clicks and interest. But when you see an athlete immersed in, in um, present-oriented language and thinking, you're, you're, you're seeing great athletes at work. And th- those are just words. The, the great thing is that each individual's process requires a lot of time and effort and reflection on, on what does that look like. And there's no one process that works for, you know, across all curlers. And maybe, maybe that's a, a misunderstanding where you just, you know, it's a blanket approach to high performance. And I, I certainly don't believe in that. I believe in the individual. And certainly it would suggest that those players who, who are able to create those scripts, those, those routines about what do they need? What do they need to be able to, to bring their, their best stuff? When an athlete... Actually, does that usually? We'll see them competing, qualifying, making you know big shots, you know, drawing against five, staying patient when you know there's adversity or there's an outcome where a team that you're playing might get lucky. Who knows? But it's it's a it's a part of sports, right? And and are there people who are able to win when they're very emotional and of course they are And um, but I, I, I would never fault the player for saying the things that, that we kind of want them to be focused on.
0: My final guest this week is 1998 Olympic silver medalist Mike Harris who joins me to discuss some of the teams that will be competing at the Canada Cup in Leduc. Mike also shares his opinion on the broom controversy that cost Norway a game and a spot in the playoffs at the recent European Championships in Helsingberg Sweden. Mike, I want to start with Team Anderson. They're the top uh, women's team in the world rankings right now and they've played well all season. But I think it's fair to say that most curling fans in Canada do not view them as being at the same level as Team Holman and Team Jennifer Jones. Is it simply a case of them having to win a big event like a Scotties or a Canada Cup before they're considered to be on the same level as Holman and Jones?
3: Yeah, I mean, until they win something, you're just not sure if they can, right? I think that's the 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 the, uh, the question and i think until you've actually kind of gone through the semi-final final of a, of a major event like a canada cup or a scotties uh, you know it's kind of they've fought their way through slams already uh but it's kind of a more familiar ground for them if that makes sense they play a lot more slams certainly talent is there uh but i always joked and they said until you actually win something you really want you're never sure if you can i think that's where they're at they um They've been close a couple of times, but they've only been together a couple of years too. So, you know, it's the fact that they're a number one ranked team in the world shows they they're they're they've been pretty consistent um, over the last two seasons, and and uh, certainly they're <laughs> everyone knows when they play them they're going to have to be pretty good to beat them. So, uh, but you know until they get past that that uh, that last hurdle, um, you know you got Jones and Holman who've you know won uh, 10 ten Scotties between them or something like that. So you know that there it's pretty hard to jump into that echelon until you kind of uh proven yourself over over a number of years
0: the buzz in the elite curling community mike is that the upper echelon teams have slowly figured out how to play team holman which might explain the difficulty that rachel and her team have had in the two slams so far this season now i realize that team holman will still win their share of games because they're just that friggin' good but do you think it's fair to say that teams have started figuring out how to make rachel and, and her team uncomfortable on the ice on occasion which leads them to to make more mistakes that they may have made in the past
3: yes uh for sure i think you know, when they first were, were dominant, if that makes sense, <laughs> when they first became dominant, um, you know, teams kind of hit with them and tried to stay close to them for a number of ends and almost afraid to, to mix it up, if you know what I mean, afraid of getting blown out. And now I just see teams just being a lot more aggressive with them and, and uh, you know, they don't necessarily like that. <laughs> you know, I think, you know, like I said, you, they're, they're good at all aspects of the game, but if they're going to, teams are making them throw those in-between shots now, the in-betweeners, the hack waiters, the draws, um, you know, when they, tried to, when they tried to hit with them and just stay close, they did stay close, but, you know, two down against a team like Holman isn't enough. So, they, they've, you know, I've seen a lot of teams just kind of change gears and just go after Holman right from the first end, and, and that seems to be more successful for many of the teams. But not to say that Rachel still doesn't win her fair share of games because she does. So, yeah, she she's had a couple, rough couple of slams, but they've been good this year. Um uh, you know, and and they, as you say, they're so talented. I mean, there's no way you can ever discount them. They're they're certainly going to be one of the favorites going into this week. So um, you know, don't <laughs> I don't think anyone's making the mistake of taking them too lightly. But certainly the way they approach the games against them is, uh, I've noticed a fair fair difference in the last uh, you know two two and a half years really. Uh, teams just making them throw a lot more soft shots.
0: Now Team Silvernagle was the breakthrough team on the women's side last season similar to Scott McDonald's team in Ontario on the men's side. Now both Silvernagle and, and McDonald have struggled this season. In the case of Team Silvernagle, is it simply a case of teams being better prepared for them this season and how well do you believe they will be able to adapt and perhaps get back on track in the second half of the season?
3: Well the challenge, the challenge for both Nagel and, and McDonald is consistency. You know that's the bottom line. You know I think any of the teams that are kind of top 10, top 15 in the world can beat certain teams at certain times. And I think we had a case last year with McDonald through the provincials in Ontario and Nagel through, you know, most of the spring where they were playing really well. Um, you know, so that this, you know, that second season, it's always the question of can they maintain that consistency, you know, and, and when they're not playing that well, they're, they're not beating many teams. So, um, you know, when you look at someone like Jones or Holman, you know, they, they can win games though being at their best, um, where I don't see that same thing for McDonald and, and Silver Niggles. So um, they, no, there's no question they can do it. Uh, but they'll have to be at their best, and, and right now we haven't seen that. And, and there's no easy way around that. They just have to figure out a way to turn it around. But, uh, you know, consistency is the challenge. for That separates the top five or six teams in the world from kind of everybody else um that's 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 never been any different you know for the last 30 years so you know there's always been top five or six teams that you know that you know when you play those top five or six teams if you're not one of them you need to be at your best and if you are one of them you kind of don't have to be at your best and you can still find a way to win games so um there you know to break into that top five or six is really difficult and there's only been a couple teams do it over the last few years you know dean was kind of the first european team to kind of get into that uh, top five six ranking and then uh you know, we saw McEwen kind of make his way up there over, over a number of years. And then, you know, now look at the struggles they're going through right now. So, um, yeah, it's just it's just tough to be, unless you're one of those top three or four teams on the women's side, we're talking, you know, and in, in really we're talking two teams, really. and Well, three, I guess. Anderson, Jones, and Holman. You know, those are, those are the three favorites. And, and anyone else can win, sure, but they're going to have to be at their best.
0: Now Team Fleury is a team that many people might call a dark horse, if you will, in a field like the Canada Cup, but they've won a slam this season, they've qualified in all of their eight events, they're ranked eight in the world. Do you think that this is one of those teams that could make a serious run at a Canada Cup title if they were to get on a roll early on in the round robin?
3: Yeah, I think they're better than most people think. I think is the best way to, to say it without, you know, sounding too too weird about it. But I, in my opinion that team goes as, as Selena as Cates goes, or Selena Negavan now um their third if, if she plays well they have a great chance and if she struggles um they they struggle so I think you know she's the wild card on that team you know that run they had at the Scotties a couple of years ago with Carrie Anderson uh when they made the final like she played Selena played fantastic and she played really really well in the slam when they won as well so um you're talking uh and Tracy's pretty consistent uh, I don't she doesn't make too many strategic errors she's fairly consistent but uh, you know, you, you have to have all four players going. Um, front end is pretty strong, like Liz, and, uh, yeah, their, their front end is good. Um, but, you know, if, if Selena struggles, the, the team seems to struggle. So um, that's kind of my observation with them.
0: So let's switch to the men's side now, Mike, and start with Team Botcher, who seem to be the male equivalent of Team Anderson, in that they've lost the last two Briar Finals, won three straight slams. In other words, they're one of the best men's teams in the world. But if you ask most people to name the top men's teams in Canada, many people would name three or four other teams before they mention Team Botcher. Do you believe that they are in fact still underappreciated by the curling community in Canada? And could that serve as a source of motivation for this team moving forward?
3: Well, I, I think I think there's the yeah. They're, comparing them to Anderson is a very good uh, good way to look at it. Um, they won everything but right. I mean, in all honesty, I thought one bad decision in the tenth end last year, or they win the Briar. Uh, you know, they won three slams in a row. Uh, they are the most consistent team on tour right now. Um, you know, Jacobs, I think Jacobs and Gushu and and Kui are right there. Also, obviously, those four teams to me are the are the top four and. and Again, if you don't show up with your A game against Botcher, you're going to lose. And and uh, I think all the players know it. Certainly the you know the spectators are a little behind of you know who knowing who who's who and who's going to be who the players are worried about. But I think all the players know that uh, when they play Botcher, they're they better they better be at their best or uh, they're going home early.
0: Is it just me, Mike, or has Team Jacobs seemingly recaptured the spark that they had back in the day when they were winning the Briar, the Trials, and an Olympic goal? And, and I don't mean this as a slight on Ryan Fry, but is it fair to say that the addition of Mark Kennedy might be what the doctor ordered for Team Jacobs and provided them with that little bit of swagger that they seem to have lost over the past few years?
3: Well, yeah. I mean, you can replace any player in the world with Mark Kennedy and you're better, right? I just, that's no slight to anybody. You know, if, if they, he'd come in and skipped. And Jacobs was gone. You'd say they, they'd be a better team. That's how good Mark Kennedy is. I'm not suggesting that uh, that, that should happen at all. But uh, you know, Brad, Brad. Uh, you know, when they when they did win last year with Mark Kennedy playing with them, you know, it's kind of one of those things. Oh, well, great! Like the, the fear is always when you make a, a personnel change that you know you're not you're going to lose a step. And I don't think anyone thought that bringing Mark in was going to change things negatively for Team Jacobs. So. Um, you know, interestingly to me, I think Prime moving to Epping made Epping better as well. So that's a whole other conversation to have. But, uh, yeah, it, again, it's not a question of really swagger. I mean, you're talking like you're not winning the Briar because Kevin Cooley's winning. You know, it's, again, it's one of those top four or five team questions that until you've done it, you're never sure if you can. So Jacobs, Jacobs was that team in 2013. He surprised everybody at the at the at the Briar when they won, and then uh, and then again in the, in the fall at the Olympic trials. Don't forget, everyone was talking about Stoughton and Martin and Howard. You know, Jacobs was even on the radar back in 2013. But once they won that, then of course they're now in that upper echelon because they did it under pressure. So they they've kind of jumped that hurdle. That Anderson is trying to jump, and Botcher's trying to jump, and and yeah, bringing Mark in makes them. I think it makes them better. Um, so yeah, I think I think they're. There's, to me, their there's co-favorites are Jacobs and Botcher, and then I've got Kui. The only reason I put Kui a half a step behind is because I haven't seen much of BJ this year. Uh, you know, it was just, uh, he and his wife just had uh, had baby uh, number two, so so and that's nothing nothing to say that they can't win, and, and same with Gushu. Gushu's kind of had a slow start last year, and, and or, you know, purposely slow, didn't play as much, and then this year, again, until they kind of kind of get their swagger back, you know, they're they're right there also, though. So you've got those top four teams that are Rare to go and i you know said so jacobs there's never been any lack of motivation with brad jacobs in my opinion that's one thing he's never had to worry about um so I'm, I'm yeah i look for them to do great things over the next couple of seasons but you know you could go three four years with the top teams right now and not win a briar or not win a trials or not win anything really so it's, it's so tough they like said the top three four teams in the world are really really good and and um there's no guarantees
0: Speaking of the top teams in the world, Brad Gushu finds himself in the unfamiliar position of being ranked 7th in the world right now. I know he's expressed a little bit of frustration with the current ranking system, and I'm not for one moment saying that Brad and his team are losing sleep over it, but for a team that has accomplished so much over the past few seasons, do you think that the dip in the rankings might provide Brad with a chip on his shoulder that makes uh, players like him and teams like his dangerous in big events like a Canada Cup?
3: I I spoke with Brad at an event in Toronto about... uh... You know, before our first time when he was mentioning they were all the way down to 10th or 11th and they, there's no way they were a, a team that was ranked that <laughs> that low in the world however there is a huge reward for playing a lot um in in the point system that we currently use so teams that are that were playing uh, you know a ton of fields early in the season a lot of teams that bounced past them in the world rankings and and uh, yeah that that he wasn't happy with that but um, he also understands the challenge, but I, I, I'm not sure that he really cares too much, other than on principle that he's that he's down there because he's going to get into all the big events and he's going to still have his, you know, win his share of games. So uh, the challenge is when you rank down lower, you end up being put into pools, uh, certainly at the slams anyway, with with maybe two teams that are in that top five rather than you being one of them and only one other. So it's, it makes it a little tougher when you're when you're down the rankings. But uh, I saw I, I already see them. Playing better than they did last year. Yeah, you know, and again, you're talking talent like all four positions. You got four guys who I don't think they would trade any one of their players for anyone else in the world. So I mean, why would you? I mean, I think I think they have every uh, chance of, of winning Canada Cup and and certainly uh, for the for the next three years. And while they're focused on on getting to those Olympic games, that they're going to be just as tough as anyone. But I said there's no guarantees. They say you got four teams all. There's, there's not that many titles uh, available for to split between those. So that's only the Canadian themes. And we've got a dean, too, that uh – obviously uh, to seem, seems to have found something as well last week.
0: So Mike, I can't let you go without talking about the European Championships a little bit. Uh, let's start with Team Adin, winners of the last two Men's World Championships. Now, they've been struggling early this season. In fact, uh, they weren't looking good at all when I saw them live uh, at a slam in North Bay last month. Then they go to the Europeans playing in front of a home crowd in Helsingborg. They go undefeated, winning their fourth title in five years. Now, do you believe that this was the spark that Team Adin needed to get them going as they start building towards uh, their attempt at at, uh, going for the 3 threepeat uh, at the World Championships uh, next spring.
3: Uh, I think so. Yeah, they they, they put a lot of uh, pride in, in in playing well all the time. I think they were a little bit embarrassed in North Bay with what went on. They, were, I don't think, I don't think they won a game, did they? And then uh, they went to the Tour Challenge and they they end up getting making the quarterfinals through a tiebreak. think they went two and two. Um, so that kind of got them at least they kind of made a quarterfinal of Slam. And then you got you have to remember the Europeans. There's only there's only two other teams that that were. Three three teams that were were half decent in that event. You know, Ross Patterson and uh, Yannick Schwaller and and Adine really, who were by far the best teams at that event, uh, world ranking especially. Um, so yeah, to go through and and uh, undefeated or even losing one game isn't that big of a surprise. But I know they would have taken a lot of uh, pride in in kind of closing it off in uh, in Sweden and and uh, yeah, they're they're they're. They're a great team too. Again, that's another one of those teams that all four guys are are right there, world ranking wise, and you wouldn't want to switch any players out. So, I'm happy. I'm happy to see them playing better. Um, you know, it's always weird to watch you know, one of those one of those top teams kind of struggle, and they struggle badly, as you said, at the start of the season. So, yeah, he just maybe needed something to uh, get his uh, season kick-started, and, and playing at home seemed seemed to have worked.
0: So I also wanted to touch on team Hasselberg uh, who defended the European title in front of a home crowd in Helsingborg. And uh, aside from perhaps team Homan, have you ever seen a young team like Hasselberg play so well and be so consistent this early in their careers?
3: Yeah, team Homan. You're right. And you hit the nail on the head. So they're a rare, it's a rare thing when you have teams that are that good, that are that young. So uh, it's been nice to watch them. You know, they, 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 uh, they, all four positions, you could argue, they have uh, the best in the business, right? Or at least tides for best in the business at all four positions. And the knock on Anna for years was that she couldn't make her last shot, but you know she wins a European and wins an Olympic gold medal. And um, but that's a that's a learned skill, like that. You know, like I said, was, there isn't a team on tour that hasn't gone through that. Botcher and McEwen and, and you know Cooley, every everybody virtually has gone through the, that learning curve to. Kind of start winning games, um, and it, it always ends up coming down to the skip, right? Because that's just nature of the business, being in that in that in that position. But I don't think any one of them would rather have someone else on their team, and you know, and the, you could say the same for Rachel, and when uh, you know Jennifer Jones too, same, right? So I don't think they're going to look at uh, who would you rather have playing second for you. And I think he, all of them are going to be pretty happy with their lineups, and and uh, they're all going to be pretty happy with what's going on. So I, I just think that. Yeah, it's, it's fun to watch them because, you know, they're so consistent. That Again, consistency, that top three, top four team in the world always comes down to consistency. And they're, they're pretty, even when they've got their B game, they're going to beat most teams just as, uh, as uh, we talked about earlier. So I think, I think they're, they're, they're fun to watch for that reason.
0: And finally, Mike, there was a bit of controversy at the Europeans last week when the Norwegian team forfeited a game they thought they had won against England because their fifth player used his own broom when entering the game rather than using the broom of the player he was replacing. What was your take on that whole situation which uh, got a lot of uh, talk and a lot of uh, tension both at the event in Helsingborg and across the pond here in Canada with a lot of uh, elite players, players that are competing in slams, uh, sharing their thoughts on that particular situation?
3: I, I can. There's two things to talk about. One is the, the the World Curling Federation officials who who make the rules and enforce the rules. Um, I've had I've had the uh, the, the pleasure of, of dealing with them. I use the word pleasure, but it's dealing with with officials. And and I had one. I forget what it was, but it was during the year of the brooms. Uh, so 2016 at the Worlds, and and we had a similar thing happen where uh, it was before the game, mind do. And and the they just explained to me how things are worded and. He doesn't have a, they don't have any choice but to enforce the rules as they're worded. So I have no hard, you know, there's no hard feelings for me uh, against the World Curling Federation. The other thing is, uh, Thomas Olzer and his team were in the middle of that controversy. They should have known better. Um, their coach should have known better. The fifth should have known better. Thomas should have known better. All of these players should have known better. So I don't have a whole lot of sympathy for a Team. To, to actually get your broom out of the broom bag. Which you're not allowed to have on the ice surface. They would have to gone into locker room to get the broom and bring it out. Like, it's not an easy thing just to kind of put your substitute player in and go get a different broom. So, there was a you know there was several steps missed along the way. So they don't they a didn't know the rule, which I find hard to believe with Thomas you know, having gone through this whole thing. And yeah, spirit of the game. Sure, you know if it's a club spiel or whatever. Um, yeah, you 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 know you want to do the right thing, but the the, the officials don't have any choice. Norway, Norway should have known better. That's uh, the you know. So I, I don't have a ton of sympathy for, for what happened for the Norwegians. I, I, I emotionally I do, but you know when it comes to to a world, or in, in this case the European Championship, um, the rules are there for a reason. You know, think the what the, the way I explained it to someone is if, if you brought the fifth in for the tenth end, and it was a tight game, say somebody got hurt, and he went and got his own room and brought it in. Now you're sweeping some draws with a fresh broom head in the 10th end, it's a huge advantage to the team that brings in their spare with this fresh broom head in a tight game the only difference in this case it wasn't a tight game but the rule the rule infraction is exactly the same the penalty has to be the same so
0: and that does it for this episode of the from the hack podcast if you haven't done so yet please follow us on facebook and on twitter for all our latest curling content i'm frank rock and this is from the hack